That's called Path to Prayer, P-A-T-H, number two prayer, dot com. And I was going to mention, someday I will start again. Uh, I have a newsletter. I used to actually send something out every day. But uh, I ran out of time to do that. And if you'd like to receive our newsletter, we're going to just pass this around. If you would... If you're interested, put your name, your, your uh, email address, and your phone number. The reason for the phone number is so that if the email address doesn't work, which is at least 30% of the email addresses that get written down don't work, we can call you and say, what is your email address? Um, it's probably because I can't read the handwriting, but it's still an issue. So if you read very carefully, there's a chance I might understand it. Uh, but if there's a phone number too, that way I can understand I was also going to mention with the website, the other little booklets that we handed out, they're all there as well. So, uh, plus the book, The Life of Victory, and other things. So, it's, it's very complete. And uh, we're also, I actually have another website I'm kind of excited about. We haven't even started working on it, but the name of it is nolimitchristian.org. And it's based on the uh, quotation of Ellen White, there's no limit to the one who setting self aside makes room for the Holy Spirit. What I like to tell people is that if you're not a no-limit Christian, you know what you are? You are a limit God Christian. Either you're a no-limit Christian or you are a limit God Christian. It's one or the other. And uh, so uh, we, we, we made the decision this week while we were here that we wanted to, uh, to get that running. Anyway, um, I remember... When I held meetings in Colorado, I mentioned this to you earlier, but I'll, I'll state it again tonight, that uh, it was so nice, you know, meeting with people who looked nice and had a nice church, etc. That's what I find everywhere. And it's wonderful. But for all of the smiles and for all the nice buildings and all the beautiful music, I can say pretty confidently that everywhere I've gone, they have not experienced revival like they're praying for yet. You know, it's, it's true. And, uh, and so that morning I read some quotations, which I'm going to share with you pretty soon, about how God wants to sh give us revival even more than we want to receive it, how Satan can't stop it. And the question that came to mind was, someday when we stand before Jesus, what excuse will we give for never experiencing revival? What excuse will we give for our church never experiencing revival? Uh, there are people who have experienced it with far less knowledge than we, under far more difficult experiences, but they were truly, uh, they were going to be pushy about the whole thing. You know what P stands for, push, don't you, when it comes to prayer? Pray until something happens, right? So they were just going to say, God, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep right on praying until we see uh, the Holy Spirit come into our midst and do whatever you need to. And it's a life-changing experience when that happens because really, I don't believe that revival is rocket science. Uh, revival, as one person put it, is a new obedience to God. I love that definition probably more than any other. Revival is nothing less, nothing more than a new obedience to God that allows uh, God to work and, uh, but when revival comes, it's not about people suddenly being so amazing in themselves, but it's when the Holy Spirit takes over the church, uh, which is made up of people who've allowed the Holy Spirit to take over their lives. That's what it's all about. And so uh, 
there's a verse I'd like you to look at, and then I'm going to have a word of prayer. Look, if you would, at Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 29. And this is so fitting because this is what we have been doing this week in some ways. In Second Chronicles chapter 29, um, Hezekiah, whose name is the Lord is my strength. What a wonderful name. His mother's name, Abijah, means the Lord is my father. He comes to the throne at the age of 25. And um, the first thing he does, the first year, the first month, he says there's something wrong with the temple. The doors have been closed. Uh, things have not been where they should have been there. And I'm going to begin working there to repair uh, the house of the Lord. So he calls the Levites together and he says something to them very significant. He says, sanctify yourselves, uh, reading verse 5, uh, and said to them, Hear me, Levites, sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. And I believe if we want to experience revival, we're going to have to consecrate ourselves, surrender ourselves in a whole new way to God. And it will also include carrying out the rubbish that has accumulated in our hearts, in our lives, and probably even in our thinking. I pause after I say even in our thinking because I think some of us have gotten the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian and tonight I want to talk about that. And it says they're adopting Christ's lifestyle but I would put a subtitle The Lifestyle of the Revived. So I want to have a word of prayer and then we will continue. We'll look at a few quotations by way of introduction and go into the main part of what we're going to talk about. I'd like to kneel. Father in heaven, thank you that we have the opportunity of being here together tonight. I don't claim to have any special ability as a speaker. And I don't have some polished sermon or presentation or any PowerPoint. I'm just a humble servant carrying the water of life, or the tray carrying the bread of life on behalf of the brothers and sisters that are here. Father, they, they need to hear from you in what I share, not from me. So please forgive me and deal with whatever you need to deal with so that you can communicate through me to them. And as AJ prayed, might my lips be anointed and might their ears be anointed so that they will truly understand what you want them to understand. I ask that you would do this for the sake of Jesus who, who is looking to see himself recreated in people and in churches because churches represent his body. I ask that you would give us success in that regard for the sake of people around here who don't know about you. I ask that you would give success, Father, so that our families, our children would know that there's something different and special about being a Christian. I do it, Father, so that we might honor you and you could come quickly and that this world of sin and misery could come to an end. You've told us you're going to come as a thief in the night when everyone says peace and safety. Lord, that means it could be any day. Oh, Father, help us to be ready and help us to understand what I'm going to talk about tonight because, Lord, I believe that's part of being ready. I ask this in Jesus' name, the only one who can give us the success and the blessings tonight through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Look at, uh, in, your, in your books here, in the little booklets, everyone has a booklet, uh, no cost, they're, they're made available to you free of charge. Line 887, we have the assurance. What does the word assurance mean? We have the assurance. You have, we have the guarantee, okay? Now they talk about, about things that are based on the good faith of a government, right? If, if you go out and you sign a contract and, and someone has written in there, I'm going to do such and such, like I'm going to buy your house for X amount of money, and they sign their name and they have it notarized, do you have the right to believe that it's true? Absolutely. Well, in that quotation there says, we have the assurance that in this age of the world, the Holy Spirit will work with mighty power unless by our unbelief we limit our blessings. Okay? We have the assurance. We have the... We, we, we can count on God sending the Holy Spirit. That's the assurance. Notice the next one. During or dating from the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was to be poured forth on sons and daughters, on servants and handmaidens, in every hill country, every lowland, every valley, humble workmen for the Lord are to be raised up. The divine sacred influence of the Holy Spirit working in our world is to be as signs and wonders. Why? Notice, because God's people are a peculiar people, a holy nation, shining amid moral darkness as living stones in the Lord's building. That is the description that should fit your life and my life and our churches. Okay? A peculiar people. Okay? A people that, that are unique. A holy nation. Shining. Shining. And then the next one, which is a favorite. I love this one. 896, line 896. The line numbers are on the left. The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church is looked forward to as in the future. But it is the privilege of the church to have it when? Now, seek for it, pray for it, believe for it. We must have it, and heaven is waiting to bestow it. Now you understand why in reading some of these quotations, my heart was thrilled. It says, pray for it, you know, believe for it. We must have it, and heaven is waiting. God wants to give each one of us his Holy Spirit. I don't care what your name is or how much you know of God. God wants to bring you a great gift of spiritual blessing into your life. Okay? Now notice 902. There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out his spirit upon a languishing church and impenitent congregation. Let me simplify that. It says basically that Satan is, is scared to death that we will remove the, the rubbish out of the temple, so to speak, out of our lives and out of our experiences so that God can come and pour out His Spirit, His blessings upon a church that is struggling 
Okay? That's what it means in simple English. If Satan had his way, there would never be another awakening, great or small. Satan is committed to doing all he can to make sure there's never another revival. But notice, when the way is prepared for the Spirit of God, the blessing will come. Satan can no more hinder a shower of blessing from descending upon God's people than he can close the windows of heaven that rain cannot come upon the earth. Wicked men and devils cannot hinder the work of God or shut out his presence from the assemblies of his people. If, there's that if word, that's the conditional word, if they will do what? With subdued, contrite, or humble hearts, confess, put away their sins, and in faith claim his promises. Satan cannot stop what God wants to do in our lives. He can't do it. And if we will do our part, we've just read that God will be able to do his part. It says, if we will with subdued, contrite hearts confess, put away our sins, and in faith claim his promises, the blessings will come. The blessings will come. Why is revival lacking? 9.15 the only reason for our lack of power with God is to be found where? In ourselves. If the inner life of many who profess the truth were presented before them, notice what is stated there. They would not claim to be Christians. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It says if, if the inner life were shown, not just of, of a person or two, but of many, they would not claim to be Christians. My brothers and sisters, each one of us need to have a, a real serious time with Jesus and say, Jesus, if others were to look at everything about my life, would they say, I'm a Christian? It's a serious and sobering thing. Serious and sobering thing. Line 918. There's no lack of power on his part, but there is a lack of faith and notice and humility on the part of his people. And then, an interesting statement. Many of us would not know how to use that power if we were to receive it. Let us learn of the great teacher what it means to walk in humility as Christ walked in humility. Remember what I said about revival. Revival is not rocket science. It's not some church suddenly having this kind of super on steroid kind of spiritual experience. It's just where the Holy Spirit takes over because the church has agreed to let the Spirit be in control. That means the Spirit controls the board meeting. The Spirit controls the Sabbath school classes. The Spirit controls everything. Okay? That's the great need. That is the great need. Well, what is God's solution? What is God's solution? And, and the verse is right there in your, in your booklet. And we want to look at it for just a moment. Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall what? Ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe some of you are kind of figuratively scratching your head saying, Dan, how is this the solution? How is this the solution? 
We're going to look at some verses not too long from now. They talk about how God blesses and beautifies and directs the meek and the lowly in heart. It is when we put ourselves out of the way and we let Jesus take over that truly he can work in abundant measure. Okay? A couple of quotations, then we'll look at some verses eventually. And uh, just to get ourselves thinking this evening, when you think of this verse, it says, Come to me, all you that are labor, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you agree that we feel labor? Do we feel a, a sense of heaviness about our lives and our spiritual experiences? And that there's, a, there's an ongoing burden that we carry. Does God intend that? He doesn't. He doesn't. I would agree. Someone tells a story in a book about how, how our Christianity is sometimes like a person on a, who, who, was, who was going down a cart. Actually, it's like the person who was next to the, to the cart. And this man was coming down the road and, and standing next to the, uh, to the road was a man with a great big load on his back. And the man stopped and said, you know, I can tell you're tired. Just come up on the wagon and let me give you a ride. And he invited him. And they went down the road, but something funny happened. The man wasn't putting his burden down. He continued to carry the burden. And finally the driver said, why don't you put it down? He said, it was so nice of you to carry me. It would be too much to ask you to carry my burden too. (laughs) And so many of us have given our, our lives to Jesus, but we continue to live and act as if he weren't carrying us, okay? Uh, some of you have read the books of Corey Ten Boom. Um, it's told how Corey used to have a, a problem with worry and struggles, and, and she would carry a big briefcase into meetings, and she would walk in, and she'd put it on the, the table, and she'd get all of her books and things out, and she'd talk to the people, and then at the end of the meeting, she'd put them all back in and walk out, and someone said one day to Corey, Corey, your life is just like you in that briefcase. You go to God, you pull everything out, then when you're done, you put everything back in, pick it up, and carry your burden with you. And when it says that Jesus says, come to me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest, he means just that. And if we are not feeling rest as Christians, we have not discovered the essence of Christianity. Did you hear me? If you were to interview the people who went to revivals and were parts of revivals. Yes, there was fatigue. There had to have been because sometimes the meetings would start as early as 10 o'clock in the morning and they were still going at 10 o'clock and sometimes they went all night because there was such a sense of God's presence. Okay? And there were miracles that took place, wonderful miracles. When it says that, that if we give him our burdens, he will... He will give us rest. He means just that. In verse 29, then he gives the, the secret. He says, take my yoke upon you. Okay? He says, take my yoke. And then he says something else. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And what will be the result? And you will do what? You'll find rest to your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the French Bible, instead of saying just my yoke is easy, it says my yoke is easy to carry. And I'd like to suggest that when we're truly carrying the yoke of Jesus, it makes for a very easy 
and carefree life so far as the burdens of life are concerned. So this evening we want to first ask the question, what is the yoke that we are called to carry? What is the yoke that we are called to carry? And secondly, um, how is that yoke to be worn? Okay? So we're going to look at, at a couple of quotations first, and then we'll look at some Bible verses as well. First of all, we're warned not to make false yokes. Line 929, does he not tell us the truth when he says, my yoke is easy? If we manufacture yokes for ourselves, as many are doing, we shall find them extremely galling. Okay? It is suggested there that it is possible to be carrying a yoke of our own making, and when we are carrying the yoke of our own making, it can be anything but easy or light. Okay? Goes on, but if we take the yoke that Christ has prepared for us and become meek and lowly in heart, self will be hid with Christ in God. This is the correct position for us to occupy. We continue on. We often think we are having a hard time in bearing burdens, and it is often the case because God has not made any provision for us to carry these burdens. It is very possible that maybe there's a person or two here, maybe many who are struggling because you are trying to carry burdens or trying to go through life in a way that God never expected you to. Hudson Taylor said, he was the missionary to China, he said, God's work done God's way, will always have God's blessings. And I think sometimes people have chosen an attitude in life. They have taken on a lifestyle that is way beyond what would be good for them, and it becomes a burden. And sometimes they blame God, but I don't believe that God is to blame in those situations. So she says that sometimes we, 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 we have this difficult time but it's because God has never made provision for us to carry these burdens. But when we bear his yoke and carry his burdens, we can testify that the yoke of Christ is easy and his burdens are light because he's made provision for these. If we are carrying God's yoke, you know, if we're carrying his burden, life will not be hard. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to uh, Burma. Uh, when he found the Lord, one of the decisions he made was he was going to plan his life to please the Lord. And I think it's a wonderful thing, you know. Uh, for some of you who are younger, you're still making career choices, you're still making critical decisions about who you want to spend the rest of your life. If you make those decisions to please God, you will give yourself a gift that will last the rest of your life. But if you are not careful about that, you may well take on burdens that will make your life so miserable you will wonder why you were so foolish as to have not consulted God in making those critical early decisions. I've told people before, and I know this uh, for a fact, uh, that the person you think is so wonderful today could one day be the one who hurts you more than anyone else on planet Earth. And that's why when you consider who you marry, trust me, there's nothing more important because it'll either make you deliriously happy or miserable beyond anything you could contemplate. Truly. 
and I'm grateful for my rose. I tell you what, she is a, you know, they have a rose called a double delight. If you're rose growers, there's a double delight. She's my quadruple delight. She's even better. Anyway, and I mean that genuinely. 939. Jesus invites you to lay down the yoke you have been bearing, which has been galling your neck. The load of self-love, covetousness, pride, passion, jealousy, and evil surmising. Notice, yet how closely do men clasp these curses and how loath they are to give them up. Have you ever considered asking God, are these things that are so near and dear to me so important that I should go through life miserable because I have to have these things or, 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 or keep these feelings? Maybe for someone, you know, they've, they've gotten into some kind of, of, of tiff, uh, a difference with another person, and, and it's been going on so long that their pride says, I just can't get past this. I just refuse to go and apologize. That's a load that God never asked you to carry. And you know who suffers the most? Is the one who has the, the strong, angry feelings. I could share stories of people who've been healed physically when they finally agreed to forgive someone miraculously. God knows what he's doing. Now we must take God's yoke. So there is such a thing as a false yoke. Now let's talk about God's yoke. 945. This yoke which you are afraid to put upon your neck because you fear it will gall, Jesus says is easy. A lot of people say, boy, you know, Taking God's yoke, what is he going to have me do? Is he going to send me as a, a missionary? Is he going to have me do something kind? It says right there, this yoke which you are afraid to put upon your neck because you fear it will gall, Jesus says is easy. The burden you dare not touch, it is light. Brothers and sisters, do you trust God? Do you only obey God because you feel condemned and guilty if you don't? What would my marriage be like if I only did things for Rose because I felt I had to obey, you know, and had to do nice things for her because I promised with a marriage certificate? Would that be a relationship worth having? Absolutely not. No. We do what we do because we trust God. And I believe when you come to the point of really trusting God, you'll discover that that which seems difficult becomes a joy and you don't even think about the fact that you're obeying. Did you hear me? All that is required, line 946, on your part is to resolutely lay hold upon it and notice you'll find it a support rather than a burden. When you take God's yoke, instead of it being a, a heavy burden, it actually supports you. We go on. I love this quotation. That cross which seems to you so inconvenient an instrument to lift, which seems too heavy to be raised when you cheerfully lay hold upon it and lift, it will lift you and be a support and a strength to you. Do you want to be uplifted by the power of God? Then take God's yoke. Instead of it being this crushing blow that will destroy your life, actually saying yes to God and surrendering and going forward with Him, you'll discover the great support and the great blessing in your life. I did read the English correctly, did I not? Did I read it? Maybe we better read that last part again. 
that cross which seems to you so inconvenient, in other words, that thing that you feel God is calling you to surrender to or, or to do, which seems to you so inconvenient an instrument to lift, which seems too heavy to be raised, when you cheerfully lay hold upon it and lift it, it will lift you and be a support and a strength to you. My brothers and sisters, this is why the gospel is good news. Not only that we're forgiven and that the power of God works in us, but God puts a burden on our heart that lifts us and gives us a joy. And people look at us and say, there's something wrong with you, but there's nothing wrong. You just have come into, into a joy, the joy of salvation. And it's a regular part of your life. Well, what is this yoke? If this yoke is such a blessing, then it behooves us to figure out what is this yoke. And I'd like to suggest right off, it is two things. It's the yoke of obedience, and it's the yoke of service. Okay? The yoke is referred to in two ways, the yoke of service and the yoke of obedience. But then one last little piece that we'll look at after that, worn in the clothing of meekness and lowliness, worn in humility. Let's see what that is about. 958. The yoke and the cross are symbols representing the same thing, the giving up of the will to God. Giving up the will to God. Look, if you would, at John chapter 6, verse 38. Um, let's look up the verse. John 6, 38. John 6, 38. And I want all of you to have the time to look it up. So uh, I was told I looked things up too quickly. John 6, 38. It says there, for I have come down from heaven, what? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when Jesus says, take up my yoke from this verse, what idea do we get as to what might have been the yoke of Jesus that he carried? What was the yoke? Okay, okay. Let's read it again. Close, close. But what does it say in, in verse 38? It says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What was, what was the thing that Jesus was constantly doing? God's will. When Jesus had any question, what was the one question that he asked? When he had any, any task to do and, and he had a question about what was going on, what question did he ask in his own mind? Is this the will of my Father? Father, is this what you want me to do? Is this your time? Oh, it's your time? Fine, the decision is made. Do you want me to go there? You do. Fine, I'll go there. Jesus never had to worry what other people were thinking. He only had one concern, and that was, what does my Father want? Oh, you want that? I'm going to do it. That's why the yoke was so easy to carry for Jesus. Because he, he only had one concern that was pleasing his Father. We live in a society with so many different voices. If you were to ask the opinion of, of some of the people in this church about a particular subject regarding your life, you might hear a different opinion from every person and you would only be confused. But if you go to your father and you hear his answer, I can assure you, you will not be confused. That's why 
carrying his yoke, the yoke of God's will, is so easy to carry. Did you hear me? Let's look at a few more verses. We won't look at, at Romans 12, 1 and 2 right at this moment. 963, what is my yoke? It is perfect submission to God. What is the yoke? Perfect submission to God. Do you want to carry that yoke? Then it's all about submitting to God's will. Not complicated, is it? Not at all. 964, when you give up your own will, your own wisdom, and learn of Christ, you'll find admittance into the kingdom of God. He requires entire, unreserved surrender. Give up your life for him to order, mold, and fashion. Take upon your neck his yoke. Submit to be led and taught by him. That's what it's all about. Jesus, teach me. Teach me how to hear your voice. Then give me the courage to say yes. Because all of God's biddings, anything he'd ask us to do, he provides the power to do. Okay? Now, let's talk about the yoke as, as service. Now, it's obviously referring to cattle being yoked together. When I was a, a kid, we used to go to the south of France where I had an uncle who lived in a very mountainous part of, of France. It wasn't high mountains. Probably we might have called them hills, but they were steep enough that there was no way you could, you could drive a tractor. And so he used horses and he used oxen. And I can assure you that those oxen that were yoked together, they only knew one thing, and that was to go where they were told to go, right? And they were always yoked in pairs because yoked in a pair... Uh, they were far stronger than a horse. I mean, you could put a huge wagon full of hay and, and take it down a, a fairly steep uh, uh, grade, you know, incline, and, uh, and there was no danger that the wagon would get away if those cows were there yoked together, okay? So these cows, when I was, when I was a kid, they went where they were told to go, but they also worked together in service. So the yoke... It's the thing that sits on the, the neck of a cow. It was made of wood then. That's what's being referred to here. The yoke 976 is an instrument of service. Cattle are yoked for labor, and the yoke is essential that they may labor effectually. By this illustration, Christ teaches us that we are called to service how long? As long as life shall last. Remember, I told you when we were discussing sin, that God has a great concern for those who don't know him. And when you become a member of Christ's body through baptism, God has first claims on your life to let his other children know that he loves them. And when God blesses you financially, it's not to waste on every little thing that you, you want or big thing. God is someday going to say, now, I shared those resources with you. What did you do with them? And sometimes when God sees that we're not faithful, he says, I better let that money go to somebody else because they'll be more faithful. Did you hear me? Yeah, that's how it works. And so we are called to serve God as long as life shall last. Uh, let's uh, go to 983, that quotation. 
If you will seek the Lord and be converted every day, if you will of your own spiritual choice be free and joyous in God, if with gladsome consent of heart to his gracious call you come wearing the yoke of Christ, notice, the yoke of obedience and what? Service. All your murmurings will be stilled. All your difficulties will be removed. All the perplexing problems that now confront you will be solved. I told you last night that George Mueller and his wife Mary had a perfect marriage. Do you remember what the first two things were of, of his formula for a perfect marriage? Who's got a good memory? Number one, they were committed to always and only working for God. Okay? Yes, I'll give all four. I'll give all four. First, they were committed to always and only working for God. They were secondly committed to always being busy for God. Third, they never let uh, the work of God get in the way of their personal devotions. And finally, they often prayed together. But the point is, is they were committed to always and only working for God. And I believe the more we can do working for God, the more we'll be blessed. Now, just so you don't misunderstand me, uh, whether you work in a formal position and are paid by you know, some ministry like ASAP or a conference, that has nothing to do with your calling in ministry. Did you know that? You know, Sometimes the seminary students will come in my class and say, Dan, the conferences aren't hiring. What are we going to do? You know what my answer is? Since when does the conference hiring have anything to do with your calling to serve as a pastor or a minister for God? The calling is first. Who pays you is second. And I don't care what your work may be. God's calling in your life is primary. Uh, William Carey, that famous missionary to India, you know, he was repairing shoes. But as he was repairing shoes, he was praying you know, first from what he read in the journals of Captain Cook and then based on the, the leather map on his workbench and he was also learning languages. And uh, it's interesting that he had a, a skin condition that didn't allow him to go outside. Uh, and so he was forced to work at a workbench. Later when he went to India, that problem went away. And by the way, he translated the Bible into either 40 or 44 different languages. He felt impressed that he was to translate the Bible in all the languages of India. What an amazing record. Why? Because even though he was a shoe cobbler, he never forgot the purpose of his life. And one well-meaning Christian, when he heard of his plans to go as a missionary, said, young man, sit down. When God plans to reach the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. Luckily, William Carey did not listen to that well-meaning uh, pastor who was trying to discourage him. So when we carry the yoke of Christ, it is, it is, it is a yoke of service for the rest of our lives, but is, is a blessed thing. It is a, a blessed thing. Now, um, 989, whatever business engagements men may yoke up with, if Christians, they must wear the yoke of duty to Christ. This is their allegiance. They are to consider themselves bound by superior obligations. The Master, Jesus Christ, has placed His yoke upon the neck of every disciple. The life of service is pledged to Him in accepting His yoke. Notice. Now, notice the, the 9.93. Anything that will mar or hinder His perfect service to God is to be what? 
broken off, whatever the character may be, whatever its nature or character may be. Did you hear me? If you find in your life that there is something that is truly going to keep you from serving God, something that is hindering you now, uh, not talking about your marriage, you can't leave your wife, there's one exception. But if you have some kind of hobby or something else, my brothers and sisters, the sooner you get rid of it, the sooner you'll have the joy of the Lord. Did you hear me? I hope you believe me. God doesn't lie. Now, let's talk about this matter of wearing this yoke in meekness and humility. When Jesus came, did he come with a brass band? Did he get born in the Hilton in Jerusalem? No, he came in the most humble way possible. Why was that? I mean, if you wanted to impress people that you were the Messiah, would you choose to, to, to be born in Bethlehem in a stable, in a home where the parents aren't even married yet? Would you choose to grow up in a, in a town where people only had bad things to say as a, as a humble carpenter? I once uh, was struggling for a sermon down in Christchurch, New Zealand, and nothing was coming. I said, Ben, I better go on a walk and ask God to help me. And as I was walking, God began to just dictate a sermon to me. And the whole idea was Jesus never got it right. When he was supposed to appear, he didn't want to go. When he wasn't supposed to appear, he went. What he was supposed to say, he didn't say. And what he wasn't supposed to say, he said. He was always a failure. But he succeeded, brothers and sisters. And if we will adopt his lifestyle, I believe we will find far more success than we ever dream possible. We have bought into the world way too much. Did you hear me? We have bought into the world way too much in the way we, we relate, the way we try and promote, the way we hold meetings. People are not looking for you and I. They're looking to see Jesus. They know what people are like. They'd like to see something better than that. Okay? Notice a couple of verses. Psalms 37.11. Look up Psalms 37, verse 11. It says there, But the meek will what? The meek shall inherit the earth. I read that correctly, right? Who's going to inherit the earth? Now, is that just a small category of people you think, or is that truly a description of the people who will one day inherit the earth made new? What do you think? I believe it speaks to the kind of people that will inherit the earth made new someday. Look at Psalms 149, verse 4. Psalms 149, verse 4. Psalms 149. How are we doing? Have we found it? I'll wait just a moment. Psalms 149, verse 4. It says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with what? With salvation. God beautifies the humble or the meek with salvation. Okay? So the meek will inherit the earth. He will beautify the meek. Uh, notice Psalms 25, verse 9. Psalms 25, verse 9. Psalms 25, verse 
9. It says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. If you read through the Bible, you discover that there's a strong, strong preference for those who are humble and meek. And of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And I know it's in your little booklet, but I choose to look the verses up. It says there, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Nothing ambiguous about that. Would you agree? Now, let's look at a few more quotations here. We are to take his yoke of submission, restraint, and obedience. How? In meekness and lowliness of heart. Okay? Notice 1005. Meekness is a precious Christian attribute. The meekness and lowliness of Christ are only learned by wearing Christ's yoke. That yoke signifies entire submission. We're going to pass on the next one for the time being. Okay? Look at 1014. In our separation, line 1014, in our separation from God, in our pride and darkness, we are constantly seeking to elevate ourselves. And what do we forget? That lowliness of mind is power. How about that? When we, when we relate to others in a meek and humble, lowly way, we're told there that lowliness of mind is power. Our Savior's power was not in a strong array of sharp words that would pierce through the very soul. It was his gentleness and his plain, unassuming manners that made him a conqueror of hearts. When you look at the work of Jesus, did he have the disciples learn how to do cheers? No, he, 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 he walked and worked in a very unassuming way, not allowing undue attention to be given. And I would like to suggest that when we put self aside... When we live for the glory of God, we will see more blessings in our lives. There's a quotation, for example, regarding healing, where it says that the reason that more healing does not take place in our day is that if it did, it would go to our heads and it would ruin us. How about that? God is unable to really use us because we would take it to ourselves. We would say, look at, look at what we have done. Line 1020, the meekness and lowliness of Christ is what? The Christian's power. Do you want to have a, a life of power? What is a life of power? Meekness and lowliness. It is indeed more precious than all things which genius can create or wealth can buy. Now that's pretty amazing if that's true. And I forgot to read 1018. Pride and self-importance when compared with lowliness and humility are indeed weakness. Would you agree that apparently we have things backwards? We look at meek, lowly people and say, man, we wish they would be more assertive, that they would do more, but, but apparently compared to pride 
Actually, that person's a long ways ahead. A long ways ahead. But, but we have to learn to look at life through the eyes of Jesus then. Now, does Jesus want it for us? Look at 1022. I'm, I'm reading this because if I said it, you might not listen to me. Okay? Jesus expects that his gentleness and condescension will be reproduced in those whom he blesses. Let me repeat that. Jesus expects that his gentleness and condescension will be reproduced in those whom he blesses. Jesus came to our world and chose the lowliest life, took the humblest position, leaving us an example that we should follow. The majesty of heaven was meek and lowly in heart, and he expects all, it does say that, doesn't it? He expects all his followers to catch his spirit of meekness and lowliness. Let me ask you the question. How closely have you been following Jesus? Have you been following him in meekness and lowliness? Apparently, that's something that he expects of all of us. Have I read that correctly? Absolutely. And I have to tell you, it was as I was doing some research that I began coming across all these statements about meekness and lowliness, and I said, I need to study this more to see what's there. And I was totally surprised by what I found. I never read that meekness is the Christian's power and that Jesus expects all of us to adopt that lifestyle. But that's what it says. Notice, 1027. Now we're really getting into personal stuff. Are you prepared to hear what it means to be meek? Or shall we just close now? We could have a vote. Well, you're going to hear it anyway. I voted. In the world, the Christian will be slighted and dishonored and will consent to be least of all and servant of all. He will submit to be injured, to be despitefully used and persecuted, but wearing the yoke of Christ, he will find rest unto his soul and the yoke will not be galling. Do you want to take up the yoke? I guess we don't have to fight as many battles as we thought we did, do we? No. Because, because why? Meekness is the Christian's power. Here's another one. Line 1031. Meekness is a precious grace, willing to suffer silently, willing to endure trials. Meekness is patient and labors to be happy under all circumstances. Meekness is always thankful and makes its own song of happiness, making melody in the heart to God. Meekness will suffer disappointment and wrong and will not retaliate. Meekness is not to be silent and sulky. A morose temper is the opposite of meekness. In other words, a, a dour, a, 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 a kind of a, a dark, you know, a kind of a morbid temper is the opposite of meekness for this only wounds and gives pain to others and takes no pleasure to itself. Do you want to be meek? Those two quotations set it out. That's what it means to be meek. Would you agree that that is truly counterintuitive to what society talks about? Did I tell you last night that, that we'd be talking about a, a really big paradigm shift on what it means to be a Christian? I did read this correctly, did I not? I did. 
And if you begin looking for the words meekness and lowliness in, in her writings, you're going to find it all over the place. Why? Because that is the place of power. Do you want to be a powerful person? It's there. It is there. But praise God. Notice, 1040. It was the spirit of uncomplaining submission in which our Savior did his duty that made his yoke easy and his burden light. It was because Jesus wasn't complaining, because he wasn't fighting, that the yoke was so easy because he placed his life in God's hand. He conformed to the laws of obedience and service. And the same principle that made him so useful everywhere, he requires his followers to obey. Pretty clear, is it not? Now, I love history, and I can tell you something very interesting about this. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, and uh, at one point in his life, he, he asked for help for the, from the authorities. And he writes later in life, he said, I discovered that any time I would resort to the arm of flesh, this is Dan's paraphrase, it's not the exact wording, I don't have a photographic memory, but any time... I resorted to the arm of flesh. Invariably, things went badly. But any time I chose to trust God, things worked out well. We need to learn that when we place ourselves in God's care and say, God, I am choosing to be meek. I am choosing to trust you. That that allows God to rise up and do a work that he could not do otherwise. Did you hear me? Notice the next one. Whenever I read this one, people sigh. You may sigh. When you find your work hard, line 1045, when you complain of difficulties and trials, when you say that you have no strength to withstand temptation, that you cannot overcome impatience, and that the Christian life is uphill work, be sure that you are not bearing the yoke of Christ. You are bearing the yoke of another master. Many of us are apparently bearing the yoke of another master. What do you think? We really are. I think that you should go home and read these quotations quite a few times and say, Lord, I need to go back to school to learn how to live. This is truly a complete change from, from the way that most of us have been raised. Okay? Notice, 1052, we're almost done. Take hold of the arm of God and say, I am nothing and thou art everything. Thou hast said, without me ye can do nothing. Now, Lord, I must have thee abiding in me that I may abide in thee. Then advance step by step by living faith, abiding in Jesus or trusting in Jesus. This is wearing his yoke, the yoke of obedience. 1057, lowliness of heart, that meekness which is the fruit of abiding in Christ is the true secret of blessing. 1066, the blessings connected with Christ's invitation can be realized and enjoyed by those only who wear Christ's yoke. Okay? And, and finally, just a few last words and then we're done. 1075. 
There is, actually 1074, there is rest for the soul in wearing Christ's yoke and lifting Christ's burdens. It seems a contradiction to say that there is no rest for the soul except that which is found in continuous and devoted service. But this is true. Happiness comes in willing, obedient service where all the powers of our being are moving in happy, healthy, harmonious action in obeying our captain's orders. The more responsible the task assigned to Christ's soldiers, the more the soul exalts in the Savior's love and approval. The soul realizes a freedom in the performance of the weightiest and most taxing duties. Okay? Enough said. My brothers and sisters, I pray by the grace of God that you're looking at life through a whole new set of lenses. Did you hear me? This is not what most people think about when they think about being a Christian. But if what I've read is true, and it is, then we need to go back to school, don't we? We need to choose to learn to live the meek and the lowly way, don't we? And what is God's promise? God's promise is that's the way of power. That's the way of strength. So I ask you the question. You want revival. Are you willing to adopt the lifestyle of the revived as well? Think about what you're what I'm asking. Are you willing to say, yes, I want to take up the yoke of obedience and the yoke of service in the garb of meekness and lowliness? Think about how that might impact your life. Think about your work, your relationships, your walk with God, how you spend your time. Is that something that you want? If it is, would you stand and join me? It's a big decision. I'm going to pray that God will give you no happiness any other way. And I pray that he answers my prayer in the most abundant, unmistakable ways. Did you hear me? And I'm serious. Father in heaven, I've been speaking, but what I shared wasn't from me at all, and I don't think they came from Mrs. White either. I think they came from you. Matthew 5 has been there all along. Psalms 34 has been there. Psalms 25, those verses we've read. But Lord, many of us have kind of gone over them because they just don't seem to work in society as we know it. But they are in the Bible. I think we all need to ask you forgiveness, Lord, because we have been ignoring what you said. Please forgive us. Send us back to school to learn how to live in a meek and lowly way. And Father, help us to to be quick to say yes in obeying and yes in serving because we've read about how that will make the yokes light and easy, that there'll be joy there. Thank you that you won't disappoint us. Lord, I, I know the situations in this church, Lord. One person has, has shared with me about struggles, Lord, where there's health involved. I've heard about challenges in family and relationships 
and work, Lord. I won't mention people by name, but you know who they are and you know what their situations are. I thank you, Father, that this call to wear this yoke of obedience and service is true in every situation. And that as we are meek and lowly before you, telling you that we are nothing but trusting in you, that you will come through. You may not be early, but you'll never be late. Please take each one of us into your arms of love and walk with us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to enter into this new life, Lord, of of walking in a meek and lowly way. For Jesus' sake, for the sake of those that we live with, a husband, children, whatever the case might be, might it come with us, Lord, to the office as well. And help us, Lord, to quickly see the blessings to encourage us in that way too. Thank you that in all things you work for good. Help us to accept all things as good as well. Perhaps they didn't originate, but by the time they come to us, we learn they come with your permission. And Father, might you put a a constant song of joy as we discover a new freedom, a new joy, and a new power in living the way you lived. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.